0: The first weekend of Saratoga is over, but there's still no better way to play than Naira Betts. New customers to NairaBets are eligible for a $200 deposit match bonus when they use the promo code Rewind. Terms and conditions do apply. Just go to NairaBets to sign up or use the NairaBets app. Welcome to episode 44 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. And on today's show, my special guest is Monmouth track handicapper Brad Thomas. We go over three races from Haskell's Saturday card... Races 10, 11, and 12. And some angles we go over are why charting before even opening the PPs is just as important as handicapping, how track configuration could have helped you find a vulnerable favorite, and why Mike Maker is the best US turf trainer right now. This is Red Board Rewind.
1: It's the same old-
0: And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Brad Thomas. Brad, how are you today? I'm very good. How's it going? I'm hanging in there. It was a long, hot weekend here in New York, but uh, the racing was heating up over in New Jersey for the Haskell Day. How did you think the day went overall?
2: I thought uh, the six races were very, very good, particularly later in the program. High quality and uh, also some quantity. And uh, most importantly, at least to me, uh, I think betting was uh, pretty interesting as well because uh, that's the whole fabric of the game. Without the betting, there's no horse racing, most important thing. And uh, when there's good betting, then uh, the game has a chance to thrive.
0: For people who have never met you or heard you talk about it, how did you actually end up getting into racing?
2: Well, I followed uh, a lot of sports growing up, and uh, I played them and uh, couldn't really play them that well. Uh, And I eventually came upon horse racing, and I found that that's a game I actually could play uh, because uh, the players are the horses themselves, the jockeys, the trainers, the owners, and the horse players. Everybody can play it in their own way. Uh, so I felt that that was the game for me. I'm uh, also an analytical person, for better or for worse, and uh, horse racing is kind of an ideal venue for people who think in that way. And interestingly enough, my whole process of feeling, my own, my own feelings about. Some things have evolved as they should always do. And at this point in my career, I would actually say horse racing is not a sport. It's not a, it is not a sport. It can't be called a sport. It's a gambling game with sports aspects to me. Because everybody's gambling to some extent, whether you're an owner, whether you're a trainer, uh, with how you handle your horses, how you spot them, uh, how you recruit owners. Everybody is gambling. Uh, There's a sports venue in which this gambling takes place, but it is gambling. And uh, to me, that's the one thing that horse racing has to always remember, that if it's going to work, it has to make the gambling as good as possible for everybody and not think about itself as a sport per se. Because attendees, uh, people buying tickets, people buying other things, It might help the revenue a little bit, but it doesn't really help the game in the long run. So to me, it's all about the gambling. We can enjoy the sports part of it, but make the gambling good. So I got into it following sports because racing was always regarded as a sport. But now that I'm into it, I think it's really something else and something even richer and uh, more wonderful than pure sports.
0: I tend to actually agree with you on that point. You were talking a little bit in there about the connections, you know, how the trainers are trying to find the right spot in the condition book. Do you think that over the years of you being in the game, you tend to think connections are more important to your handicapping style or less important?
2: I, to me, what is important is what's important in a particular situation. There might be a situation where connections are everything, but there might be another situation where the connections are virtually meaningless. To me, the decision-making process, one of the keys is understanding which of the 38,611 reasons why horses <laughs> might win or lose a race, which of those are the most applicable in this individual situation. That's the skill component. Uh, it, it's, and for better or for worse, I'm a very, very eclectic thinker. So I, I'm juggling those 38,600-some components and uh it can make for brain lock at times of course uh but that's my perspective now there might be other people who are strictly pace uh players and they're looking from that perspective and in some ways maybe that's easier because you can just focus on that one thing and maybe then the trick is understanding when pace is really going to matter and when it's not and when it's not that might mean pass. But uh, to me, the fun, the challenge, the the profit potential comes in looking at a situation and saying, like, which thing is the key component here and how does one interpret that
0: problem? Is there a certain key angle or component that you feel has kind of, like, withstood the test of time in a certain race, like, whether it's just, like, lone speed on the turf or, you know, always taking a deep closer in a turf race? Is there any component that you find year in, year out for you always seems to find the winner's circle? No, no,
2: because I think that that's I think that that type of thinking is uh, is, is is poor thinking. I think uh, the game always evolves. You evolve. Uh, you have to recognize. Going back to even what I said before, what's important in this instance. Uh, if you're sitting there waiting for a particular angle, uh, you might wait and wait forever and ever, uh, or you might try to force feed it, or you know you're going to. Not see the forest for the trees. You're gonna you're gonna miss so many other important things. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't have a particular angle. I let the game come to me.
0: Okay, now let's kind of talk about your uh, like the way you build up in a race. Like what your process is. Like do you usually start off with certain pace stuff, or you do? What's your starting point when it comes to like when you first open the PPS for the first time?
2: My starting point is uh, reviewing what happened in all races the previous day. Uh, for the entire year, uh, because I'm a believer in putting together your information well in advance of when it's actually necessary. I think one of the worst things that a lot of people do now is they look at a race card and they'll be trying to figure out trips, biases, uh, previous pace things, uh, that happened in the past that are relative to today's race, then working on that all within this very, very constraint component and you know they're they're looking at a hundred trips that might be relevant to this card and they're looking at many of them for the first time and i think that that takes away a lot of uh time a lot of energy a lot of mental uh creativity that is better used in the actual handicapping process because the game today is one of using your energy and your time efficiently because so many people are looking at so many different races, so many different cards, and uh, of course the lament that you hear all the time is, "Oh, I was so I, I I spent so time, so much time on handicapping, I screwed up the betting because I I just didn't have time to really spot the betting, or I was too lazy, or too tired, or too spent by that time. So I'm a great handicapper, but I'm a horrible better." So that's a lot of crap. What I do is I look at every circuit that. I'm concerned about day after that stuff's been run. I have all my charts in front of me now. I do my pace work, my bias work, my trip work. And then I have all that set so when I actually am handicapping a card, all that work is available to me. I don't have to go figure out if a horse ran against the bias or not. I don't have to figure out if a horse was pace compromised previously. I don't have to watch his trip because I know what it is already. So all that time that I have allotted to looking at a card, I can actually look at the card without doing all that all that front work. So hopefully my, I have enough time, my creativity is there, and then when I have my opinions and I can look at what the odds are and I can look how the day is going once the card gets underway, I also have the time and the energy and the creativity left to bet properly, at least uh, in, in the manner that I think. Uh So that's really my, my key angle. is I do as much work well in advance as possible so that when a card comes up, I can get into it exactly the way I want. And yeah, I mean, in a roundabout way to get back to your initial question, maybe the first thing I do look at is I try to get a feel for what the scenario is going to be in a given race. Beginning, middle, third part, finish. Uh, pace, but also position of horses based upon what I think the trainers might be thinking, what I think the jockeys might be thinking. That's maybe the place to start when I actually get down to handicapping an individual
0: race. We were talking about how you, how you chart so much. For an average race card, how many hours are you putting into your charts?
2: Well, th- I have different priorities for different circuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of these uh, of these races I've uh, I've seen already live. Uh, so what I can do is I, I, I already have a start before I get to the charts. Uh, I will, I've will i seen these races. From what I know about them already, I'll put together preliminary notes about charts, about pace, about trips. And then I'll go back and I'll watch the trips again. Uh, sometimes I'll watch a race many times. Sometimes I'll hardly watch it at all because I've seen all I need to see, or at least feel I've seen all I need to see at one time. So, some circuits, some circuits, it might be 30 minutes. Some circuits, it might be three or four hours. It, it, or, or even based upon the size of the card or the quality of the card. So it's, it, it, it's flexible, it, it's, it's organic. I don't, I don't have any guidelines. I just take, I just go where the work takes me. If I think, if, if it's a, a bad card with, uh, with, uh, with small fields, uh, I may be able to take care of it very, very quickly. If it's a card like the Travers Day card at Saratoga, it really might take hours. So, so so, it depends. But you have to be flexible. Flexibility matters. You have to understand where your time needs to be spent, where your energy needs to be spent. Prioritize and then create.
0: Let's jump into this great card of action from last Saturday at Monmouth Park. The first race we're going to start with is the 10th at Monmouth Park. It was the Monmouth Cup, a grade 3, going 1 and one8 miles on the dirt. What were your thoughts before the race went off, Brad?
2: Well, I thought that a key part of what happened in that race was the uh, was the, uh, death scratch uh, or the sword scratch of Bodie Express. Mm-hmm. Because that changed the whole pace scenario of the race. He was the fastest horse in the race. He had an outside post which was going to allow him uh, if he broke okay to get a good start, to maybe clear the field and Clearing fields is is key to his chances. He's a horse who uh, is a much stronger runner when he's able to clear off than he is when he's under some type of pressure, as most horses actually are. And uh, a mile and eighth might be the absolute extent of his distance ability. So it was going to be an interesting race to see if anybody was going to take him on because nobody else in there had had the real pure speed uh, to do so, I thought. But with him scratched, it really changed the whole complexion, and I credit uh, Jorge Vargas on Global Campaign, uh, who really rode great on the whole Haskell Day card. Uh, if you look at Vargas's rides, there's a lot of very, very good ones on the entire card, and I think that says a lot for a rising jockey who was competing against uh, some top other riders on a on, on a great card like there was at Monmouth Park on on Haskell Day. Uh, Global Campaign is a Big, long, striding horse, distances his friend, going a one-turn mile at Churchill last time. Completely different race than a two-turn mile today. He, had, he didn't get out of the gate real alertly in that race and really on filter, And he was jammed up inside behind horses where he doesn't want to be. And the rail was dead at Churchill that day as well. He finally got outside. But once he did he was done. But the added distance of the Rama Cup, the added turn, changed everything around. It allowed him with a decent break and with the scratch at Bodie Express to get to the front without having to work hard. And a horse like global campaign, getting in rhythm and galloping is everything. And that's what he was able to do. Uh, so it was a case where I credit Fargus for being able to react so well to a late changing fluid development like the scratch scratch of Bodie Express. And maybe I discredit some of the other jockeys in the race whose horses had some type of speed, who didn't take that into account, didn't take into account that the bomb of dirt on on Saturday really was speed-favoring, and rated their horses with maybe they should have more aggressively gotten the flight.
0: It's always weird to me when you see a late scratch like that, where it happens to be a speed horse and people don't take that into account for their handicapping. And then they wonder why a horse either does what other jockeys didn't do in this race and, you know, clear the field when they might have second or third best speed. And it's just a heady ride by the jockey. The horse for me in this race that I ended up on was uh Bow Harbor. I just thought that the races from last year were against much better company. I thought the train the trainer switch from Pletcher to Gregory Sacco was interesting, and I thought this might be a good little starting-off point for the year for Ball Harbor. What were your thoughts on that runner?
2: Well, the trainer switch was because Sacco actually has been the longtime uh, trainer for Red Oak Stable and mm. the Brunetti family. In recent years, they've given some other horses to other trainers who they think might fit on circuits other than the New Jersey circuit that uh, Gregory Sacco Predominantly works at. But uh, the reason this horse went back to Saco, I believe, is because Fletcher is not stable at Monmouth Park this year. So the horse, uh, Val Harbor, likes Monmouth Park. The owners like to run there. I think it just was the natural fit that, that, that he rode to Saco. Uh, he, he's a really nice horse. <laughs> the issue, though, I think, is the mile and eighth. Under the right conditions, he could win going on for a long. but I think with any type of stress, It's probably just a touch beyond his limit. He ran really well. He was wide, losing ground, lost on the worst part of the track, Uh, came up a long way off, but he just didn't have that extra burst he needed in the last eighth to win against this type of company. The mile on the 16th, even the fast-paced mile, I think that's really the wheelhouse for Val Harbor.
0: What did you end up doing from a wagering standpoint here in this race? Were you alive in eight picks? Was it just kind of playing some vertical or some win bets?
2: I don't talk about my wagering, uh, publicly. Uh, it's, uh, you know, to me, I mean, I'll give my opinions on what I thought about the race, but I don't, I don't, I don't go into that. Uh, but, uh, in looking at it, I mean, who I picked in the program, not Marvin Park, mm-hmm. actually, was, uh, I initially picked Global Campaign because I thought he was the, the best horse in the race. Uh, I already talked about what I thought of his Churchill race. And certainly third off a layoff, going back to what I thought was his best distance, I mean his Peter Pan and a mile and at, at a half at Belmont last year was stupendous when he uh, beat Sir Winston, who went on to win the Belmont, uh, and he was able to gallop along in that race. I just didn't think he would be able to get that galloping trip in this race. Uh, I thought that the one post, rather than being a blessing as it ultimately proved to be, would be a curse to some extent because maybe he would get the same trip that he got at Churchill, and he would do it with Bodie Express clearing off and you know providing thick back trouble for him as well. but uh, the scratch of Bodhi Express, the uh, aggressive uh, ability to maybe shift gears by Vargas global campaigns jockey, that changed that. And you know what, too? This is a game where you never know for sure what might have happened. Uh, even with Bodie Express in the race, maybe Global Campaign does pop out. Maybe he is able to to force Bodie Express to raid off of him a little bit. Or mm-hmm. maybe Bodie Express does clear off an aggressively of Global Campaign, angles out around him, and sits a two-wide trip pressing him. Who knows what happens? That's the beauty of the game. We never know for sure. But uh, I kind of did think myself. I mean, I... I, I the horse I picked was actually Senior Investment, who is a horse who I've always liked, uh, and a horse who I thought proved, once again, that he dislikes wet surfaces when he came off a layoff in the Westchester, <laughs> and I thought that race was a complete false out, and I thought there was definite upside improvement potential in him going from wet sur- a wet surface back to his preferred dry surface, which he's done successfully before, and also second race off a layoff, which he's consistently improved on second race off the layoff previously. And uh, as I said, he's a he's a horse with very, very good back form uh, who's had this revival of his career since trained by Scott Lake. I thought he would run better. And he's one of those horses who <coughs> I wasn't happy with how he was ridden. I thought, especially with the scratchy body express, he should have been more aggressively ridden. But uh, with how he performed, you can't really say that That wouldn't make a difference.
0: He just did not run well. The top pick for me in this race was Bal Harbor. Let's see who wins the Monmouth Cup right now.
1: And they're off in the Monmouth Cup. And Global Campaign comes out running to take the lead. Jovia Monongahela is also prominent in the early stages. And Bal Harbor, a joint fourth, racing on the outside of senior investment, Harper's first ride is in between those two. A gap of three back to Just Whistle. Math Wizard is at the back of the field with Core Beliefs. Into the first turn they go and its global campaign. Galloping along in front by a length to Jovia in second. Bal Harbor not far away, just two off the pace in third. Monongahila, that loyal is fourth. Two more lengths to Harper's first ride on the outside of Senior Investment, who's asked for a bit more, six lengths off the speed. Then Just Whistle, racing on the outside of Math Wizard and a three-wide Core Beliefs. Ten lengths covers them, heading toward the half-mile pole in the Monmouth Cup. And it's Global Campaign, cruising along up top, leads it by a neck. And Jovi is right with him in second. Bal Harbor, Monongahela, right together the entire journey. Another three lengths back. Harper's first ride is losing ground steadily. Math Wizard moving up between horses. Senior investment to his inside. Then Just Whistle and Core Beliefs. Midway around the far turn. Global campaign trying to fend off Jovia. He has a new challenge in the form of Bell Harbor with a three wide bid. Math Wizard is picking up some nice momentum moving into fourth on the outside of Monongahela at the top of the stretch, and Bell Harbor is now let loose on the outside of Global Campaign. Math Wizard is coming after Bell Harbor, and Global Campaign is not done. He is resilient on the inside. Global Campaign turns away Bell Harbor, and then Math Wizard rallies into second. Global Campaign! Huff takes the blinkers off, and he wins the Monmouth Cup. Math Wizard was second, Bell Harbor third, and it's a photo for fourth involving Monongahela.
0: And the number one Global Campaign gets it done paying $7 with a hundred buyer. It was your second choice, Brad. Just uh, like you said, a heads-up ride by Vargas. What were your overall thoughts after the race was run?
2: I think Global Campaign is uh, a horse who can build on this race. Uh, the pace wasn't particularly fast. But it was under some pressure from a, a decent horse in Jovia Uh he, was bias that The inside was good at Monmouth on Saturday, and so was speed. But the way he kicked on again late, I think, showed legitimate class and legitimate distance ability. Uh, Bubble campaign is a galloper supreme. Uh, he has put together three races into this form cycle, something he's not always been able to do career-wise. I think if he can stay sound and stay on a reasonable racing schedule. This is a horse who can improve later on in the year. I see him as a Jockey Club Gold Cup horse throwing him out a quarter. I think more time and more distance will only help him more. Uh, drawing, getting an inside post in the Jockey Club Gold Cup at Belmont, which has started on turn, uh, can provide him with a big advantage. can put him on the lead maybe in a race with a relatively small field without a whole lot of other fast horses. I think he's a long-term danger in that race. And I think with the continued improvement in what looks to be a very weak, older horse crop, uh, this is a horse who, who's potentially live for something in the Breeders' Cup Classic on the and a Quarter. Uh, he is a really good horse when he gets his trip, as he got at Monmouth on Saturday, and he's a horse who can continue to improve if his feet stay sound. Matt Lidget, uh the runner-up, he ran a really good race. Uh, made a really brilliant middle move into the third quarter uh, that's when the pace was actually heating up a little bit. He raced against the bias he raced against the pace in general wasn't able to catch a good horse on the front end, but that wizard proved once again that a mile is what his game is as well. Uh, I don't know how much real upside this horse has. I think that was a a plus effort for him. Uh, he's maybe one I would I would look to play against in the future in a race where he was running against weaker and uh again was in a situation where maybe he wasn't gonna get the pace he needs. Val Harbor, just a nice good horse, needed the race. Let's uh hope uh that he can get some time between starts. Uh I think it was a very hard race off a layoff. I would look to him to have at least thirty five days, maybe forty two days and uh maybe go a little bit shorter next time and I think uh that would be right in his wheelhouse. On Angahila, uh this was his first start, I believe, for Chad Brown, coming from Jason Service. He's a horse who needs to be on the lead or just lapped on one other horse. He won't pass horses. He didn't get his trip. He needs to be in a soft-paced race where he's on the lead or sitting second, and uh, that'll provide him with his best go. And i actually ran at Belmont last time. So this, is what, this was, I believe, his, his second start for Chad Brown. Uh, but uh, we need to monitor how well he does all. against the grain, uh, carried 125 pounds, which was a pretty pretty big load uh, for a horse of his quality against the steel. Uh, I like him coming back uh, against weaker next time with good press. His trainer, Claudio Gonzalez, a, just a monster trainer on the mid-Atlantic circuit, uh, does work for
0: Maryland. For me, two points to bring up. Like my top pick, Ball Harbor, looking back at it, this horse just seems to always... Be a bridesmaid, but it'd be a solid horse to own. Always seems to hit the board, but just not one that I should maybe be looking at so much on the win end. It's interesting your thought on Math Wizard because a lot of people will hear, you know, oh, against the bias, against the grain, instantly put in the stable, me- uh, stable and bet back horse for sure. But you think the opposite way that you think this horse will be maybe taking so much money due to being, you know, against the bias that he'll be a bet uh, bet against for sure next time out. He won't get a whole
2: lot of money for being against the buys, but he will get money for being wide and losing ground. Uh, A lot of people uh, take a a lot of stock strictly on that. Uh, But uh, it depends on the company he's in. If he's in a really tough spot and he has good rest and there's plenty of pace, uh, I would be more than willing to bet on him if the price is right. I'm just suppositioning that maybe the next spot is a is another race with a soft pace. Maybe he's a little bit weaker. Maybe instead of being nine to one he's five to two. If that's the case, he's a horse to play against. But say it's a it's a good field but with pace and he's eleven to one and, you know, he's coming back with thirty five or more days between starts, yeah, I might be interested in him. You know, that's that's how this game works. You you might have feelings about horses, your gut reaction to what happened during this race, but you can't be a slave to them. You have to be willing to be flexible. And when a situation arises that may be different than you originally thought, you have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to pivot. it. I'm going to do a full three
0: Let's jump into our next race. It was my favorite race in the card, Race 11 from Monmouth Park. the United Nations, a grade one going one and three miles on the turf. What are your thoughts going into this race?
2: I thought it was a relatively soft grade one on the turf. We're seeing a lot of soft grade ones. For especially for all the horses on turf in this country, that's because so many of the top turf horses are actually running on dirt these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just where the American Treating Program is going. Uh, but uh, I thought it was open to just about anybody, because Arklow is a horse who, I mean, I, I could see no upside to the turnaround for this horse shipping in hot weather. I didn't really understand it, and at the same time, it's one thing maybe if you're doing that into an ideal spot for a horse, but Arklo is a mile and a half horse at this stage of his career. He's a horse who's always been better on bigger tracks with more sweeping turns and longer stretches. I did not understand at all bringing this horse back in six days in hot weather, cutting him back in distance, and running on a turf was, Barklow is not going to win this race, and maybe he isn't even on the board. After that, it was really, really wide open. Uh, I took a shot with O Dionysius. I thought it was that wide open. I always have thought he's a talented horse with a good burst of speed. I thought Amon race would hit him right between the eyes. He'd run well off layoffs in the past. I didn't think he was the likely to in this race by any chance, but I pick a lot of horses who I, I don't think are the likely better, that's what you do. You bet a horse who's the biggest disparity between price and actual chances of winning. I thought at 48-1, to 1, he, was a, he was a he he was was a good price. Uh, but uh, I just wasn't a fan of uh, all of the favorites in here, especially Arklow. I,
0: I thought it was a weird race The top two, two favorites, Arklow, Standard Deviation. I just didn't like either of them, and those are the type of races I love to bet, obviously, because you can try and find something. Uh, Aquaphobia was a horse that, you know, how many times are we going to see Mike Maker claim a horse and three or four races later he ends up with a grade one or a grade two? He just seems to have this great idea on, on horses he can claim on the turf and bump up a few times and makes, uh, make some good decisions on. I thought uh, Parrot, the uh one of the outside horses coming out of the tiller, I thought it was a great win in the tiller. I thought Lone Speed, best last out buyer, and you got a heck of a price on him at 10 to 1. The horse I actually ended up betting on in the end was Current with a uh, Gallardo and Todd. I seem to just be all over the Todd train today. Another one coming out of the Tiller didn't run as well as Parrot, but I thought the Pan American two-back was an okay race and just seemed one to me that might be improving slowly but steadily and just need another jump up to uh, get close to these ones here.
2: Current is one of those horses like Monongahela who is a, is a grinder mm-hmm. uh, and the thing that hurt him, or I thought was going to hurt him, in the U.N. was his post in a race so with an uncertain pace scenario. I thought it would going to be, it would cause him to be mid-pack and wide. I, I like him when he can be right on top of pace and not be too wide. Because he'll just, he'll just grind along, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing him in that type of situation. Uh, I thought Corelli was a very interesting horse, a horse who in Europe, ran his best races when he was on the pace or just off of it were ridden by Franco Vittori, a very aggressive European jockey. He was incredibly green in the tiller, uh, like a lot of European horses are just, you know, broke early looking all around. Uh, finished well after the fact. Uh, he was getting a make over first time lacing blinkers on for the US uh, and an aggressive rider too with Danny Centeno after having more of a sitting rider in the uh, in the race at Belmont. I thought that He was going to be, in fact, if if I was strategizing him, my my, my plan would be to just send that horse hard out of the gate in the U.S. and try to get the lead from Perret and try to replicate that European form when he ran so well when on the pace. Uh, He was not aggressively ridden. He kind of surprised me. Uh, uh, Sorry, I gave that away. But uh, he wasn't aggressively ridden uh, in the U.S., but I look forward to seeing him more aggressively ridden in the future now that he's... It's going to be second-time second-time in
0: the future for me like i said my top pick was current your top pick was O denisius let's watch the replay of the united nations right now
1: and they're off in the united nations parrette bounces out very quickly and will try to clear the field at once mug is also prominent in the early stages O dionysus on the outside Eve's medal is up close as well, only about two and a half lengths off the speed. He's just been passed by Aquaphobia up to take third, and then it's Corelli about five lengths off the lead. Mugzomatic is now toward the back of the field, racing on the inside of Current. The two trailers are standard deviation, and Arklow biding his time through the first part of the race. It's Perrette galloping along with a two-length lead. Oh Dionysus is clearly second, as they have one lap left to go. Then it is Aquaphobia racing in third, and Corelli on hold fourth. Current is three wide, racing on the outside of Mugzomatic, and down on the inside of them is Eve's Metal, about six off the speed. Standard deviation yet to do his best running. The same can be said for Arclo. Around that turn, and it's Perret in control, leading by a length and a half. O oh, Dionysus has been second the entire way with Aquaphobia and Corelli side by side. Then it's Mugsomatic on the inside of Current. Eve's medal is now dropping back, standard deviation just outside of him. And Arklo has eight lengths to make up as they come to the half mile pole in the Grade One United Nations Stakes. Perrette has been the controlling speed. O oh, Dionysus a length back in second, Corelli into third. Down at the rail, Aquaphobia saved every inch of ground in fourth. Current is next. Mugzomatic followed by standard deviation. Arklow moves up on the outside of him. Still seven off the lead. He'll be caught wide. Eve's medal is at the back. They're a quarter of a mile from home. It's Perrette in front. Aquaphobia is asked to come after him in second. Outside of that pair comes Corelli in third. Four lengths back to Arklow. They're in the final furlong. And now Aquaphobia angles out and takes a crack at Perrette. Perrette, Aquaphobia, Aquaphobia right to him. And it's Aquaphobia under a perfect ride from Joe Bravo to win the United Nations. Perrette was second. Corelli third. Arklow a distant fourth.
0: And the number five, Aquaphobia wins, paying twenty three forty with a hundred and two buyer. Like I said in the pre ramble, Mike Maker claiming and winning yet another one graded stake on the turf.
2: Mike Maker is the best United States based trader of turf horses ever, ever, and it's not even close. Uh, I said this a, a few years ago, and someone said, "Well, what about Michael Dickinson?" <laughs> and and yeah, I mean his achievement with the Haas uh was singular. But horse for horse over and over again, whether it's twenty five claimers or whether it's horses like aquaphobia, uh Mike Maker proves all the time. He's the best turf trader, hands down. Uh sixty two thousand dollar claim was aquaphobia, wins a grade one. Mike Maker won the UN a few years ago with a horse named Bigger Picture, who he claimed for thirty two thousand dollars. So I mean, you, you just you just don't get any better than that. Acrophobia did benefit from an absolutely perfect pace setup, an absolutely perfect trip. Uh, he's not nearly as good as this race indicates. He's a nice horse, but I think he's going to have a hard time ever winning another Grade one. Uh, brilliantly ridden by Joe Bravo, who, who owns the UN and owns the Monmouth Park Air Force. Uh, Perret ran really well to finish second. Again, everything his own way, just like he had uh, in the Teller of Delmont. I mean it's really getting uh nauseating seeing so many of these turf races uh, being allowed to pace setters being allowed to they're often go slowly with mm-hmm. nobody attacking them early for big money. It's it's really, really uh well beyond the point of the Uh speed can win on the turf. We see it all the time, every single day. Uh it's really about time. Trainers, owners and jockeys realize this. Uh Corelli uh ran very, very well, losing ground wide against uh, what probably was an inside grain on the turf horse of Monmouth uh, with the rails down for the first time in 14 days. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, he's a horse I definitely want to see more aggressively ridden, and I think a stretch to a mile and a half will do him good. uh, Barlow, uh had no chance, no chance at all, uh, given, the, uh, given the conditions. Uh, but we do have to keep an eye on him. A lot of miles on his wheels maybe no matter where the turf horse is, no matter where the rest is, uh, maybe he's a horse that is not quite what he was in the
0: past. So for our this is a point of maybe even though the conditions were bad and it's not it wouldn't be so much as like cross the race out. You just think maybe he's gonna go off form and like you said, a lot of miles on those wheels might just be one to avoid going forward.
2: Yeah, I'm not the point with Arclaw where I need you to prove to me that you're the horse you were.
0: That is a fair enough point. Perret, hopefully we'll see if this horse can get another easy lead. I do tend to agree with you. It's amazing how I watch a lot of Naira racing and how it just seems like everyone just wants to hold their horses as long as possible and just go for that last, you know, quarter second, quarter burst. It starts to get really frustrating when you're trying to figure out the pace scenarios and it just never seems to add up at all.
2: No. It's uh it's and it's the thing is you just can't yeah, it everybody's involved here because the trainers are strategizing along with the jockeys. It, it, everybody's in the mix here for, for why this happens. And uh, really, it, it's, it, it's interesting uh, in that this is where the mindset is, even as we see day after day irrefutable evidence that raiding these horses in the submission uh, fails far more often than it succeeds. And yet, it's amazing how the human mindset just gets locked into that way and it's so hard for it to get off the people who are the contrarians though they're the ones who are going to benefit until the uh, pendulum shifts
0: let's jump in to the last race of this podcast it was race number 12 at monmouth park the grade one tvg.com haskell going one and one eighth miles on the dirt sort of a shorter smaller field bob does bring authentic from the west coast what were your thoughts going to on this one, Brad?
2: I thought it was Athletic's uh, race to lose. Uh, in the Santa Anita Derby, he was outside for the first time, uh, all the way outside post it. Uh, he saw daylight to his right, broke to that daylight. He's a goofy horse. That's his biggest problem. Uh, he's inattentive. He lacks focus. He's. Uh, always drifted through his races. He's always played around with his lead changes. Uh, he's done all sorts of weird things. He did another one out of the gate in the Santa Antonio Derby. Uh, when he recovered, he rushed up for the first time in his life. He had horses to his inside in front of him. He didn't like that. He squandered a lot of reserves fighting his jockey. Uh, he wasn't going to beat an honor AP anyway that day, and the mile and one eighth is probably the absolute limit of his distance range. Uh, but he ran a good race, considering that, in the San Anita Derby. Uh, the jockey change for the Haskell to Mike Smith, uh, seven weeks to prepare, ideal rest for a paired-up figure-wise three-year-old in the modern game. A lot of long works in the Baffert style, especially the mile work on July 4th, really an indication that Baffert was going to ask this horse for everything he had to win a grade one. It's important for this horse winner a Grade One to establish his value as a stallion. Uh, there's still plenty of time to recover for the Derby, with the maximum performance in the Haskell. So I think all the signals pointed at authentic building up this race the right way, with the rider change and with the inner board draw, where he was going to have horses to his outside. He wasn't going to duck out at the start of this race because there was going to be pressure out there to keep him in. With any type of a break on a speed favoring track he was going to be incredibly hard to beat at a short price. Uh, That was really the key to me. And maybe the other key was Dr. Post, uh, a horse who ran so well in the Belmont, finished second. Big, long, striding horse made to order, though, for Belmont with its sweeping turns and long stretch, a horse built for Belmont. Uh, Coming to Monmouth, he was racing on a, a course with tight turns and a short stretch. And he was also drawing inside. He likes to be outside. Big horse with a long stride. and doesn't like, like being nailed by dirt in his face. was a bad place for him. So I thought he was really, really vulnerable in this race. Uh, I didn't think he could beat Authentic. I thought he was vulnerable for second. Uh, he was running in the Haskell. I mean, it's a million-dollar race, and a great look victory would be wonderful. Along with that for him, and an astounding value. But you have to think about these trainers and how they spot horses. And think of them as playing chess with chess pieces. Uh, yes, the Haskell is a great objective in and of itself, but Todd Pletcher loves time between starts for his horses. particularly are building up for the Derby. So Dr. Post running at in, at Monmouth going a mile and an eight gives him seven weeks for the Derby, and I think Fletcher really liked that. Now you could say that maybe Dr. Post is better suited for a mile and an eight at poga or, or a mile and a quarter at poga in the Traverse uh, than he, then he is going a mile and, a mile and a mile. But I think Pletcher really liked the time between starts, which is why Dr. Post ran in the Haskell. But by that definition, by all those parameters, I think it made Dr. Post really vulnerable in this
0: particular race. For me, the horse I ended up on was the outside horse with Paco on, New York Traffic, uh, Safi Joseph, has been you know on a tear pretty much the last couple of years. I just like the fact that the horse was improving slowly but steadily, had the nice win in the allowance after the trainer change, the uh, two nice placings in the grade twos, and then a nice second to what people think was going to be a top derby contender in Maxfield with a 95 buyer topping it off. Now he comes in second off the bench. He has a couple bullet workouts. I just thought – if Authentic was going to improve and run, run the race that everyone thought he would, he was going to be tough, but I thought when I looked at the board and saw New York Traffic at 5-1, to one, the odds were just too juicy to not try and beat Authentic.
2: The 5-1 was a really, really good price on New York Traffic, almost 6-1, to one. very, very good price. And, and yeah, I would, I would say I, I didn't think he could win. I didn't think he had a shot to win. But the, the price was truly valued. And, and, yes, I could have, I could have uh, bet on him at that price, even not thinking he was going to win, because I thought he should have bet much less than, than that. Probably 4-1 probably to one was fair value, so he was a substantial overlay. My pick was actually Jesus' team, who I really liked his development for his trainer, Jose D'Angelo, and I thought his last race at Gulfstream was fantastic. Uh, he was behind two dueling leaders who went fizzling, and he had to really work to even keep up with them on the turn. And uh, the way he continued uh, fighting on through the stretch against the quality, perfect trip, deeper rallier uh, really impressed me that he would be able to do better still stretching out to a two-turn mile and eight where the fractions would be more comfortable and where he would be able to stay in range without, without having to work quite so hard. I thought he would represent value. Uh, he was 18 to 1, and, and that was marginal value. And again, no, I did not think he was the likeliest winner by any stretch in the imagination, but I thought that price was a was a was a very, very fair price on a horse that to me only had to really beat one horse, namely authentic. And if you beat him, I thought you were gonna cash and I thought maybe Jesus' team had a prayer to do so pun intended.
0: Brad is on Jesus' team. I was on New York traffic. Let's see who wins the grade one Haskell right now
1: in the tvg.com haskell stakes authentic bounced out beautifully and new york traffic comes away in second he's not quite going after authentic just yet lebda is racing in third jesus's team fourth dr post is down on the inside he is next to ancient warrior about six lengths off the pace fame to famous wide and last Authentic gets a very easy lead, he's in front by a length and a half, racing a bit off the rail. New York traffic is in second, Jesus' team third, Lebda is racing in fourth. Then it's Ancient Warrior, racing in between horses, fifth, four lengths off Authentic, Dr. Post having to steady just a touch, and a two and a half length gap to fame to famous. They're heading toward the half mile pole in the TBG.com Haskell Stakes, and it's Mike Smith and authentic carving out the fractions, clear by almost a length to New York traffic in second, and Jesus's team third, Leb the fourth. This is the way it's been throughout. Doctor Post asks for more on the inside fifth. He's six lengths off the lead. Ancient Warrior is losing ground. Fame to Famous has trailed throughout. Authentic takes him past the 3 8 pole, in front by a length. He's doing it effortlessly thus far new york traffic hard ridden trying to cling to him doctor post switches to the outside of jesus's team they turn for home authentic by a length new york traffic won't go away he's trying hard and doctor post finding his best stride, but has five to make up authentic just breezing through the stretch opens up to lead it by three lengths new york traffic trying so hard and he is closing the gap now here comes new york traffic after authentic Authentic, New York traffic are going to hit it together. Here it is, photo finish, Authentic in New York traffic. Then it was Dr. Post third, and Jesus' team finished
0: fourth. And the number two, Authentic gets it done, paying 320 with 100 buyer. Another small improvement on the buyer scale, but Baffert gets it done again in New Jersey.
2: Absolutely perfect uh, setup, perfect trip for Authentic. Uh, I think, again, there was a lack of focus the stretch. He wasn't really drifting or doing any of the other things he'd been doing. He did change leads, uh, but uh, I think he was loafing. Uh, That said, I don't know. I'm a big believer that even if these horses are doing weird things, even if they're not doing them, even if they're under a fallout drive, they're still not going to do that much better than they actually did. They're pretty much giving you what they have. Uh, New York traffic, just very, very game, and uh, I liked his improvement in here much more than I liked Authentic's improvement because New York traffic sometimes has drifted through the stretch, hasn't kept a straight course, and seldom has actually finished the race well going long. I mean, he's been in pace battles, going relatively slowly, grinded along, but hasn't really finished well either. But in the Haskell, even though Authentic might have been loafing, New York traffic. Generally, did finish pretty decently, especially relative to this really highly mediocre three-year-old crop that we're seeing this year. Uh, his finish was actually improved over what he'd been doing. His professionalism was improved over what he had been doing. He is getting better. He's not nearly as talented as many of these other horses. Not that any of them are all that talented, but he's, he's not nearly as talented as some of them. But he is getting better. He is getting more professional. He's very admirable in that regard. Uh, I don't know how he's going to do in a faster-paced race going longer like, like the Derby. Uh, but, I mean, I, I respect him. Uh, authentic, I mean, I respect too, but I think Authentic showed that he's not a Derby horse. Uh, at this point, he's a complete play against for me in the Derby. He's so going to go have to have to go faster early. He's going to have to go longer. He has given me no indication that he wants to run longer. Uh, he, his pedigree gives me no indication he wants to run longer. And even if there's nobody at Churchill on Derby Day, who knows? That whole atmosphere with all those other horses, uh, I don't think it's a great atmosphere for a horse with concentration issues like Authentic. And there's going to be people there, even worse for him. But, uh, but the, ha- the Haskell showed me is Authentic, I don't want any part of the Derby. He's played against Fodder at a short price. New York traffic, I don't really believe in going longer, but I'll use him underneath. Dr. Post, I have questions about his quality. He was jammed up inside in the Haskell, took a lot of dirt, finally came outside, (coughs) made a move, hit it against pace and bias, uh, flat down in the stretch, uh, probably qualitative issues with him. He's probably not a true Derby horse, but maybe there aren't all that many of them this year. I do think with more rest, more distance, on a bigger track with a longer stretch, I think Dr. Post has a chance to run a lot better though on Derby day, so that's what I'll take out of it. Five horses ace his team ran to his ran to his level he didn't really move forward off his Gulfstream race, but uh he's a horse who can he can he can, he can win go back to Calder. and uh, excuse me, Calder I'm living in the past he can go back to Gulfstream. and uh he can do some damage in there stakes broke right in there.
0: I couldn't agree with you more on Jesus' team. Dr. Post, for me, just I agree with what you said about him being more of a Belmont specialist. I think he might be also kind of an in-and-outer. You see the 96, 86, and 95. Now another. He did run a 94, so it wasn't a complete and total you know, in-and-out form cycle, but one that I was not looking to bet next time out. Authentic for me. I just think there's distance problems all over it. I think that he'll be one of the shorter-priced horses in the Derby, and I think he'll be a great bet against I'm really looking forward to see where New York traffic ends up next time out. I think if he ends up in the right field, and if he can still improve even again, he could be one of those horses on Derby Day with you know in the six to one, nine to one range that could really offer some decent value in a crop that we said hasn't been as good as past crops. No, it
2: definitely hasn't. Been, but these things are funny. I mean, part of part of what we're seeing is horses are running less early in their careers. And they're being managed much less aggressively than they were uh, in the past. So, a lot of these horses are developing later on. Uh, You know, Derby horses 30 years ago would run eight or nine times at age two. Uh, So, these horses aren't really getting sufficient foundation until weight. So, these horses may look very mediocre now, and they do. But in three months, things could change, and there could be emerging horses all over the place. So uh, it's something like to always keep an eye on. I mean, right now, I love the Derby picture because it's so wide open because all these horses are are so similarly mediocre.
0: I think that is everything on the pod that we could have asked for. We're going to wrap it up here. Brad, I wanted to thank you so much for your time and effort. I've been looking forward to having you on the pod for a long time now. Hopefully we can have you back even for next year's Haskell as well.
2: My pleasure. Have fun, guys, and enjoy and be safe.
0: Thank you so much. Another special thanks to all the listeners for Redboard Rewind and my special guest, Brad Thomas. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel, our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Kotning. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from